Come Follow Him podcast. This podcast is created by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Here, we hope to help young adults find relevant principles each week as they study the assigned Come Follow Me scripture block as outlined by the church. This episode is simply two institute teachers talking about what they see in the scriptures that might be relevant to your life. It is not intended to speak for the church or to definitively define doctrines or policies. Any opinions shared here are just that, our opinions, as we have learned to come follow Him. I'm your host, Matt Swenson. Let's jump in. Welcome back, everybody. It's good to be with you again. Um, here today with Brother Ryan Gottfordson, a good friend of mine, colleague of mine for, I don't know, 10 years. We've maybe been close to each other in, in the Seminary and Institute world and uh, just excited to be with you. So welcome, brother. It's good to have you. Hey, it's good to be here, Matt. Thanks for having me back. Of course, of course. Yeah, you, you were with us last fall, weren't you? Yep. Um, today, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14, Mark chapter 6, and the block covers John 5 to 6. Um, but I think we'll stay mostly in Matthew 14 and Mark 6. Does that, that work for you? That sounds great. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. so much in just the, those two chapters. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right, right before we hit record here, we were talking about how long these episodes really are. And the, <laughs> those of you out there listening know we, we just go till we're done talking. And, and uh, so uh, we, we know that we don't cover everything every week and, and uh, excited to, to be with you to talk. But... Uh, but let's just see some things that maybe are, are most relevant to young adults and, and even youth. You know, uh, Ryan has a really unique assignment. Maybe I'll just have you talk about it a little bit. Uh, seminary's changing for those of you out there that uh, have children in seminary or went through seminary recently. Um, just talk about your assignment a little bit and how, uh, how, how what they've asked you to do is blessing the lives of young people. Yeah, we're really trying to help gather an entire generation of youth and young adults to the Savior. And as part of that, we're realizing we need to we need to create more space to assist in in uh, our efforts to do that with priesthood, especially. Sure. Yeah. And so they've given me the assignment to work between Rocky and Centennial and to assist four stakes out here in Meridian, four mm. big stakes. Mm. And so my my job has become less teaching and more working with these priesthood leaders on finding their youth. Yeah. And helping them get to these awesome classes and. And have experiences together. Yeah, so needed too. And and you know, you you said a phrase that is common to us, uh, helping an entire generation. Uh, you know, have have a uh, have a testimony of the Savior and find be gathered in. And and those of you out there in maybe not S and I land, um, when we say that, we're not just talking about those that are members of members of our faith, um, but really helping everybody on earth, especially of this generation. Um, find their way and be gathered in and, and have a place to be and belong. Uh, yeah. And it doesn't just include those that are already part of the church yeah. of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It, it includes every young adult and yeah. every young person in yeah. the whole valley. Yeah, so, so. It, that's an important part of what we're doing here. And, and hopefully though, some of you out there um, you know, are, are, are listening and finding your way back. And that's, you know, that's our objective here is to help you find a foothold and uh, uh, be gathered a little bit more uh, than maybe you have been. And for those of you that are fully active, good on you. 
um, help other people. That's <laughs> right? right. We would love for this uh, mess, these messages to be shared with people that just come to your mind as we're talking today, especially young people that, that could benefit from this message. Um, so with that, let's jump in. We're, yeah, uh, let's do it. Uh, Matthew chapter 14, is that, where, is that where we should start? Do you want to start in uh, Mark? Yeah, I think I think we'll reference Mark a couple of times, but I just this we all love the soap opera moments of the <laughs> scriptures, and there's a lot of them, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's there's plenty of times when we realize that my family is not as bad off and messed up as some of these families were in the <laughs> scriptures, and maybe that gives us a little comfort. I don't know, but this family's got some problems. Yeah, uh, it starts with with uh, John the Baptist um, and his his prison imprisonment from a, a very wicked man Herod the Tetrarch mm -hmm. this is Herod's Herod the the one that tried to kill Christ this is his yeah. son right yeah. Herod so the great son, right? Herod the Great's yeah. son and <clears throat> he uh, he convinced his brother's wife Herodias to leave that marriage and mm -hmm. He divorced his own wife and uh, married Herodias, but but Herodias's marriage was never officially d divorced, oh. never officially mm. dissolved. And mm. when John the Baptist spoke out a, a, about their wickedness and these choices that they were making, um, she wasn't very happy about it. <laughs> and uh, he was in prison for quite a long time um, over this over this particular issue. So is that what it means when it says, uh, verse 3 of chapter 14, Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake? Yeah. It's because of that interaction that they'd had before, huh? Yeah. Herodias wanted this prophet silenced. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, in verse 4 it says, John said unto him, it is not lawful for thee to have her. And... and uh, I just didn't sit well mm -hmm. with Herodias. So the story goes that, you know, he he would have put him to death, but he feared the multitude. Interesting that he had a fear of putting John to death because they counted him as a prophet in yeah. verse 5. Yeah. And, and even later on, we get the idea that Herodias himself over here in 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 Mark in those writings there that he even felt that John was a prophet that he had done some important things so we get this moment where the daughter of Herodias comes in and dances before Herod as part of his birthday party I can't imagine what kind of party this was but uh, right <laughs> where your wife's daughter's dancing for you and it pleases you uh -huh. in there right holy cow <laughs> and he he makes an oath which you know we would look in the Book of Mormon and say this is part of a secret combination mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the promise he makes is to give John the Baptist's head on a in a charger mm -hmm. right so it just is a sad ending to John's life yeah. that he is beheaded and and uh, the oath is fulfilled and against what he knows to be right. And I guess the, the question that I got here, Matt, you know, kind of as we start this conversation is, what is it that drives us to feel pressures to not follow the Savior? Because I think there's so many of those out in the world today. And yeah. 
Not that we're making oaths to disobey our Father in Heaven like, like Herod was, but there are some real pressures that cause us to stumble or to question or to pause and say, gosh, maybe, maybe the pressure of the world is something I need to give in to. Well, you know, as we were reading that little story or just referencing that story at the beginning of Matthew 14 here, uh, the, the story of um, King Noah came to my mind where Alma's there uh, speaking to King Noah and, you know, at one point he, he kind of he calls him out and, and King Noah's, all, I think, maybe even willing to, to see what Alma's saying as true, but his priests rile him back up. Right, and and maybe that's a little bit of what happens at the end of the Savior's life too, where, you know, the hands are washed, and but the congregation is the group that says what's going to actually happen, and and I wonder in answering your question maybe a little bit is <clears throat> how much do we allow the influence of our culture to affect our belief in doctrine and affect our belief in prophets and our faith in in things that God has told us to have faith in. You know, we, we look all around us now at our cultural norms that are so far away from what God, you know, has invited us to do or to be. And because our culture is okay with it, we question uh, the standards that God's established for us um, because our culture is more accepting of it than, than, the, than the Father is. And, and in a similar way here, uh, when when John the Baptist says, hey, this this law is bound to you too you know you, you you're supposed to have a marriage that's sanctified by the Lord not whatever you want and whoever you want and whenever you want and, and in a kind of a, uh, a maybe a, a way that connects to today Herodias says who are you why who are you to judge me right we hear that statement all the time that you know, not to judge and, and and yet God's given very specific things that we're supposed to be aware of and, and looking at each other's lives about. And, and so we've taken that catchphrase uh, to not judge and we've turned it into a not identify wrong and not to even identify that the, that the Lord has a, a method and a, a message that I ought to not only adhere to in myself but, but help other people live up to as well when, when that assignment is given to me or I have some purview over them. And John you know, being the prophet mm -hmm. that Christ says is above all prophets, effectively, he would have had some stewardship over even the king at the time to, to teach doctrine and teach truth, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It is interesting that the social norms so often counter the messages of the prophets, yeah. that, that our social structure is intent at times to silence yeah. what prophets are teaching. Yeah, it is interesting. I've was teaching an institute class last week and we got to talking about um, children uh, being raised in homes with two parents of the same gender and the policy that was altered a little bit in 2015 then altered again in 2019 and uh, the student that asked the question was really struggling with that policy why yeah. why is it that a child that was um, you know being raised in that kind of a home um, uh, to no fault of their own is punished because and now can't get baptized until they're 18 because of choices their parents made and and I said well let's let's pause for a minute let's make sure we understand what the policy said we went back and looked at it and policy never dictated that they couldn't be baptized just the first presidency wanted to look at that circumstance and, and approve that so that we weren't causing 
more strife in the home than was maybe necessary. And, and then when the policy changed in 2019, it didn't change it. It didn't really remove some priesthood authority to, to make sure that we were not hurting a family by causing some conflict. Yeah. But really just gave that authority back to a local leader instead of having to go to the first presidency. And we watched a face-to-face -face that uh, um, President Nelson did about that policy change and how it wasn't a change to doctrine and it wasn't a change to um, uh, to a, a, a thing that they were already they weren't already thinking about. Yeah. Um, it was a, out of concern for those children that they that they wouldn't go to a primary class and have the family proclamation handed to them to take home, put on their wall, to, that then causes conflict at home with parents that didn't want them to be being taught those things. And and so really out of love, that policy was made and, and adopted. Um, and I think in our conversation connected to culture here, our culture has become so much more accepting of uh, that practice, and, and maybe rightfully in some ways, that people that are dealing with that that in their lives we need to love them, and they need to be accepted, and they need to have the same rights and privileges of others, um, so long as it doesn't influence and, and detract from the rights and privileges of, of those of us that don't want to live that lifestyle. And yet, uh, the culture sh cultural shift for so many has influenced their willingness to even listen to what the prophets have said, and get, they just get offended without even really knowing what the policy was, because it, it's discussed about that problem that is a social norm right now or a socially hot-button topic, it just instant offense is taken almost without even really understanding what, yeah. what's being taught. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a perfect example of what the scriptures are describing here, that uh, Herodias had, had some problems with what the prophet was saying. Maybe she had slowed down a little bit yeah. and thought through that his message was one of care and trying to help families be eternal and to not live in ways that would draw us away from our Heavenly Father. And and yet the social pressure was so much that they couldn't see past it. Yeah. Well, it's it's the vaccine thing that came out a couple of years ago, right? I, one of my favorite things that I get to do right now is teach the Answering Gospel Questions class. And, and there is no shortage of really tough questions that we just dive headlong into. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I just, I just see things a little differently maybe now that you know, the vaccine came out and President Nelson made his statement and invitation to those of us that met with our doctors that that would be an okay thing to do. And, and maybe that was being done in a way to say, hey, this isn't going to kill you. It, it, it might be okay if you, if you talk with your doctor based on your personal circumstance. But because there was any conversation about something that had become so politically hot that the prophet was speaking on it was offensive. And, and even maybe missing... The invitation to it's, that it's personal, right? You need to talk to your doctor. You need to, you know, those types consider of things. Consider this, yeah. Yeah, it was it was an invitation to be be okay to consider it. Is mm -hmm. really, I think, what was his his intention, not a forced mandate. And yet, at the same time, I wonder if a year ahead of the of the pandemic, if President Nelson had come out and said, "There's going to be a pandemic, and there's going to get a vaccine," you know, a year after that, and when it comes out, I want you to get it. If it had been done beforehand. There would have been nobody questioning whether that was prophetic. And, it's prophetic. Yeah. We're going to follow. But because yeah. we had a year of social and political discussion about it before the statement is made, yeah. you know, we, we, we are a little more quick to look more at the social norms and yeah. question whether our, our faith is really founded. Yeah. Interesting. 
Well, Matt, I'll just, you know, just share my testimony. It, it, I guess it's based in something just simple as a primary hymn. Follow the prophet. Yeah. In this there is safety, in this there is peace. Yeah. And uh, I, just, I just know that as we, as we follow Him and keep the commandments of the Lord, there really is safety, there really is peace. Yeah. And, yeah. So. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. It can be that simple, and, and we can make it really complex, um, if, especially when we try to answer the why question. Why is this policy changed, or why did God allow that? practice to happen in church history or whatever yeah but when we maybe we shift those questions to how and when and we get to things we can actually find answers to uh, maybe it helps us set those questions on the shelf a little bit and yeah move forward with faith yeah i yeah. love it yeah well can i turn your attention to the savior for a minute sure um you know i i do wonder how the savior must have felt we we know that this was a, a close relationship to jesus christ as his cousin, but also the one that he turned to for yeah. his ordinance and baptism and yeah. the covenant process that he began early in his ministry. And it's interesting that the, the Savior in verse 13, he hears of it and he departs into a desert place apart. Got into a ship even. Yeah. Right. He's taken off. I, I think... I think we've all felt like that. This is cousin. Yeah. Brutal death too, not Yeah. Not just passed away, like this is the, life taken. This is the tragedy that that you know, at times we, we've all felt just an immediate change of, of our lives and things aren't aren't what we expected and I think he just really wanted to be alone. And uh, I I don't know if there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. I I think there's times we've got to step away and just and just think through and and kind of grapple with what's happening in our lives. Mm -hmm. But just like with everything the Savior does, he, he can never be alone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that in verse 14, because there's those that hear he's headed out to the desert to be alone and they follow. They just won't leave him alone. Mm -hmm. The Savior has such a compassionate heart. And in verse 14 it says, When he saw the great multitude, it was moved with compassion toward them. And he began to heal their sick. Mm -hmm. And then we get the miracle. This is one, I think maybe, uniquely mentioned in every one of the Gospels. Mm -hmm. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all mention this miracle. Mm -hmm. Which is that as it's getting to be evening, um, they're hungry. Yeah. And uh, the, Savior, the Savior asks, well, what, what do they have? What do they have to eat? Yeah. So maybe before we talk a little bit about that, I just, I just want to just talk here for just a minute about this idea that, man, when we're grieving... And you and I have been through a little bit of that grieving process in the last mm -hmm. few weeks. We've seen people close to us pass away. And That's true. I've had some colleagues who've lost loved ones and friends. And it just seems like this is, this is a real part of the difficulty of the latter days. What the Savior experienced here is, is our struggle too. But I just love that the Savior, in order to handle this particular challenge in His life, 
turned and served. Yeah. And I wonder what what does that do for us when we turn and serve? You know what a wonderful question, and I and I love that that's the question you've posed because there could have been another question that I think our culture would have us look at, which is. Christ heard of this horrible thing that happened to his cousin, and he went to be alone. He went to address his needs first. And first and foremost, you need to be okay. Right? And our, our culture really does say, take care of you. And I'm not suggesting that, that you don't need that, right? And especially when there's a mental health uh, component connected to it. Absolutely. Um, that, that, that is important. Um, but maybe too frequently nowadays we we set aside service thinking that I need to go be alone in the wilderness by myself to address my emotional state. Um, and again, not with a, a, a mental health component, but, but sadness, sorrow, right? The Savior's obviously not mentally disturbed. He's the Savior. Um, but as maybe as sorrowful as he has been yet in the scriptures with the death of his cousin that he loved, that, he, that was a prophet, that was preparing the way for him, all the things that, that, that John was, maybe this was one of the most sorrowful moments of his life. And he didn't say, I need to go take me time. I need, it needs to be about me for a while. Right. He tried, right? And, right. and there's, there's an indication that he, he wanted to be alone, and that's okay. But what did he do? He turned and saw a need and said, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go help there. So, so maybe, there's a, maybe there's an answer there, right? That, yeah, you, you need some time. It's okay, but uh, but the faster you can look to serve other people around you, the the faster you're going to see compassion come back into your life and and joy and hope and and see positives uh, in other people that are struggling. Right? Yeah. yeah. Do you think there's a coincidence that the miracle that's performed is a is a feeding mm. miracle? That's a good question. I hadn't thought of that. Probably. Yeah. Probably. When he would have wanted so much spiritual food to get past his struggles and his strife and yeah that he turned and fed physically those that and, and that's not really they didn't even ask for it i don't think i mean maybe i'm getting ahead of us but but it, it's just evening verse 15 and his disciples came to him saying this is a desert place and it's time now pass and send the multitude away that they may go into the village and get yeah. victuals right go send them away they need to get some food and the Savior says, no, no, let's, let's let's keep them here. Let's feed them. Let's do it here. Out of nothing, right? Yeah, you know, and one of the interesting things that the apostles say in that moment is, do you really want us to go get 200 penny worth of bread? <laughs> uh, penny worth, that <laughs> sounds like a lot, money. right? <laughs> but as I was looking that up to see what a penny worth of bread would be and, and how much they want to go get... 200 penny worth of bread is about eight months of, of an income. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of people there. 5,000, yeah, in it, this moment. Yeah, Yeah, and, and the 5,000 says are, are the men. Yeah. And in Mark it says, or maybe it's Matthew here, yeah, Matthew says 5,000 men beside women and children. Oh, wow. So you can just imagine, <laughs> it could easily have been... 15? Could, Yeah. right? These Everybody people that, brought a spouse and a kid and... Maybe yeah. it's twenty or thirty. Who knows? Could be, right? Wow. So you see, you see, maybe the apostles like, are we really going to feed here? And well, let's put that into perspective, right? I mean, you go to a typical state conference where mm -hmm. state center's full, clear to the back in the in the Western United States, at least here. Uh, you maybe get you know fifteen hundred people in that room. 
Um, that's a that's a packed in stake center. Um, you know, we're three times that just talking about men. And that's a big group of people that's following the Savior around. And to say, let's just feed them. And then for them to say, well, we got, you know, a couple of fish and a few loaves. <laughs> oh, can we really do can this? Can we do this? Man. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a visual, isn't it? You know, it is a visual. I, I, I love this. I, I'm not sure where I heard this, so I guess this is just my own quote here. Okay, I love it. But uh, I'll write it down and we'll pin it somewhere. Bread, if we do jump forward to, to John 6, right? Bread is associated with the bread of life. Yeah. And the Savior offers the bread of life as we study His Word. Sure. In fact, Nephi in Second Nephi will tell us that we're supposed to feast upon the Word of Christ. Right. For the Word of Christ will tell us all things which we should do. Mm -hmm. Five loaves of bread... Five standard works. Yeah, that's cool. I don't know if that's a that's cool a, a connection there, but I, I in my mind I love that connection. Yeah, I right, really like that, that he takes bread, he takes his word, and he divides it in such a way that every single person can be filled with it. And two two fishes. How's he going to spread that word? Well, he asks his own disciples to become fishers of men. Mm. And how does he and send out two by two. our fishers out two wow. by two? You know, I, I think there's some power there that the Savior wants to teach us that He, he has enough, yeah. right? He has more than enough to help us. I, I love this quote here by Jeffrey R. Holland. He said, Don't worry about Christ running out of ability to help you. Hmm. His grace is sufficient. That is the spiritual eternal lesson of the feeding of the 5,000. Yeah, that's pretty cool. He's got enough, right? You know, a, a couple weeks ago in our Come Follow Me block, we studied uh, uh, the Savior's invitation to um, pick up His yoke. Mm -hmm. And in my studies that week, and, and maybe we shared a little bit about this in the podcast, but the idea that, I've always read that thinking, how am I supposed to pick up His yoke? I mean, like, He was perfect. He handled all the sin and all the consequence of sin and all the sickness and all the all of it. How am I supposed to pick that thing up? And then there's a picture uh, that came to my mind uh, in, from a children's book called Quick as a Cricket. Hmm. And uh, it is a picture of an oxen, big massive oxen carrying a cart full of rocks, big stones. And this little boy is connected to the other, the other side of the yoke. And I, this week, did that, that week as I was studying it, I thought, man, the Savior's not asking me to pick up His yoke while He stands off to the side. He's asking me to yoke myself to Him, to connect myself to Him, right? And, and in a way, you know, maybe even connecting back to what we talked about with John, in our hardest moments, where we just don't think we can do it on our own, the Savior has provided links to Him it, by way of maybe yoke form, that are covenants, right? I link myself to the Savior through my covenants. I can find His Word through the bread of life, right? That, that is his, his message to me. I can feast upon that. Um, all of those things are ways that I pick up His yoke and it, it, my burden becomes lighter because His is light for Him. And, and in, the, in the picture, he, the, the oxen is this massive creature, this big, giant, yellow, um, wonderfully drawn oxen. And this little boy is five, maybe, 
And he's not even, he, he couldn't even pick up the yoke by itself, let alone the burden behind it. Mm -hmm. And uh, But with the Savior next to us, he, he does. He, he picks that thing up on his own. He just wants you to connect to it. He just wants you to be on the other side of the, the other, be the other animal on the other end of the yoke. And what a, what a cool message there, right? Yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. You know, can I just share one thing for those that might be feeling overwhelmed right now? Um, maybe you're maybe you're one in the crowd hoping that the Savior can feed you. Mm. And I love that this comes from someone's sacrifice to feed the 5,000. You know, he asks, well, how much food do you guys got? Yeah. And and it's interesting that he he gives them a commandment first. He said unto them, give ye them to eat. He asked them to do something impossible. He asked them to do something that's literally beyond their capacity to do. And maybe we feel that way as we're trying to find hope and help. And mm. if we're feeling really discouraged, I think the Savior sometimes asks us things that we feel like we, how could I we do can't that? do that. Yeah, because He asks that of them before He knows how many, well, before they tell Him how many yeah. loaves and fishes there were, right? It's a little bit like Nephi saying, uh, I'll go and do the things, right? I, whatever he commands me to do, he's going to make there be a way to do it. Right. And and he's given the commandment to feed them. It doesn't really matter how many fish you have or how many loaves you have. Yeah. Right? Which is his next invitation, right? Well, what do you have? What can you give me? Mm -hmm. Now, maybe there's some symbolism there of the five loaves and two fishes, and we mentioned that a minute ago, but whatever the number could have been, I mean, it could have been one loaf and... Yeah. A half a fish. Have a crust of bread. Yeah. You know, <laughs> maybe tail. maybe it was the fish head or whatever. <laughs> but they they obviously brought something. Mm. It's not nearly enough perhaps to feed two or three people, to mm. fill them up. Mm -hmm. And then in Matthew fourteen, eighteen, the Savior says, Bring me what you've got. Mm. Whatever you have, I'll take it. And then as we go on in the story, there's this beautiful experience where when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up into heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish divided he among them all. And so he blesses whatever we bring. Yeah. And then, of course, in those experiences, verse 42 of Mark 6 says, And they did all eat and were filled, mm. and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fishes. Mm. Which, in our, our latter days, the Savior's trying to gather Israel. He's got enough, just like Elder Holland said, to, yeah. to feed every single one of those that are desirous to be part of the covenant. Yeah. So, for That's those cool. that are just struggling today, Matt, you know, whatever it is that you have to offer the Savior, he will multiply that. Yeah. And He has enough then through His power to feed whatever hunger you're feeling, mm -hmm. whatever you're striving to feel. And I think part of that hunger is going to be filled by doing what He does, yeah. by helping others, by taking what we have and yeah. well, allowing that's it, it that's to multiply. That's His invitation, right? His invitation was, bring it to me, I'll bless it, and then you take it to other people. You go help You'll others. get to eat too, but, but yeah. take it out and, and pass it around, and that's what they did. Yep. I, I love that. I think that message is so needed that whatever your offering is taken to the Lord and consecrated to Him, He'll make it more. 
right? He'll make it enough, and, and not only enough, he'll make it better, and plenty, and more than you need, right? Um, th those out there that, oh, I just am so uh, tender-hearted towards a couple people in our lives right now. You, you and I both know some families that are going through loss of loved ones um, in just very hard ways that they, they've lost loved ones. And I think about, you know, waking up tomorrow and what does life look like? It's different now. And their offering feels like it's not the same. And how do I even start? What do I even offer? Um, you know, the, the circumstances of their lives are just so different. How they live their lives, where they live, all the things that change when we lose someone like that. And, and I, I just think... Um, Remain in yoke to the Savior, that, that you bring your offering, you say, this is all I have today. I, I just have this much to provide. You know, when I was uh, in the seminary classroom, I had the students, that, for those of you out there that have taken seminary, many, many seminary teachers have you quote our purpose, and, uh, and it, it's our purpose is to help youth and young adults, and now it's... Um, Deepen their conversion that's right, to keep, Jesus Christ and His restored gospel. Instead of help youth and young adults understand and rely on the Savior, it's now deep in their conversion to the Savior. And, and anyway, so, so, you know, many, many of you out there have heard that in a seminary classroom. But one time I was reading a training manual for us, and it said students need to come to understand that they're attending class to, and then it gave a whole bunch of just little things that they were there to do, to be converted to the Savior, um, to get to know Heavenly Father through prophets, words of prophets, um, that they were coming for that purpose. And, and so I started having my classes say that, uh, that purpose. I'm attending class today to come to know Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And, uh, and it was interesting. After we said that, occasionally I would say, somebody tell me why you're actually attending today, because there were five or six things in that list. I said, why are you actually here today? And I remember one girl raised her hand and said, I'm here for the first line. And I said, what, what's the first line? She says, I'm attending class today. Stopped. And I, I was sure she was going to go to get to know Heavenly Father. Right. <laughs> Come to know Him. And she didn't. She just stopped it. I'm attending class today. And that was it. That day, that's all she had. She got, she walked from the main building to our building, and that was it. That was all she had. And that was enough. That was, for her that day, she'd offered everything she had, and it wasn't what I what I, as the teacher, wanted, right? I wanted Sally in the front with her hand up every time I asked a question, right? But to the Lord that day, she did enough. She got there, and she was fed, and she came up after class. She said, I'm really glad I came today. And I, that she came was all that was needed that day, right? And it just happened to be that day that that, uh, that was how she was feeling when she got there. And by the end of the day, she was glad she'd come hmm. and gotten something. I don't really even know what it was, but... Now, there's something beautiful about how he does that, too. Can I take you back in just for a, a moment here? Yeah, please. So he says, bring them hither, bring the fishes and loaves hither in verse 18. And then Elder Gong taught us in a seminary and institute training one time to look at verse 19 a little bit. He commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. Now, do you remember where we are? We're in like a desert place. And anybody that's ever looked at even a map of Jerusalem and the area surrounding it. It's all desert. The, yeah, there's no grass <laughs> anywhere. So what did that mean? It meant he had probably found a very, as much as he could, a comfortable place for those people to be fed and to sit down and take a break. Um, because they were just, they were moving through this deserted place. And yet he took the time in a, in a moment where there was a need 
to find some comfort for them and give them some comfort beyond just, yeah, I'll feed you here. That's a miracle that you need. I'll, I'll feed you. But he wanted them to have it in a way that they, they could sit down and they could enjoy the meal that they were being given. That, f that to the apostles and those that were following the Savior maybe closely would have felt like this isn't going to be at all enough. And yet, not only is it enough, it's given in a comfortable way, in a way that, that they could have enjoyed and not just slogged through life, right? And I think that's maybe a message to us that the Savior doesn't want us to just get through it. He wants us to joyfully experience life and, and endure, um, but have joy in the process and, and find the grass moments, right? Find the little patches of grass and sit down when we need a break, but not sit in the middle of the asphalt and burn to death, right? He, he wants yeah. us to, to have moments where we, maybe we need to take a moment and walk away. He got in a ship. He left to somewhere, to a deserted place, and people kind of followed him over there. So he found himself in a place where he was at least comfortable and then helped them find a place to be comfortable. So there is some time, I think, for us to focus on maybe what I need in order to enjoy the, <clears throat> the Savior's offering to me. Yeah. But anyway, just a, a little line in there maybe to focus on a little bit. But Well, I, I found one of those places for <clears throat> me in my life is the temple. Mm -hmm. I remember being, being in a just a difficult moment of life a few years ago and spending some time in in the temple and and the hymn came to my mind as I was preparing for the endowment that day there is an hour of peace and rest mm. and I thought man I'm going to be in the temple for about an hour <laughs> yeah. today yeah and it just became just a place of comfort. I mean, I would describe it as a place the Savior has prepared for us to sit down and be mm. comfortable and mm. to tune out the world and to, you know, I, I think about verse 20, they did all eat and were filled. Mm. And don't you wish we could just kind of pull one of those people that were sitting there and say, tell me about that. Being filled with that. What was that like? You know, to just spend a moment where the Savior asked you to sit and rest and yeah. be quiet and maybe it took an hour to feed 15,000 right. people you know right, yeah. <laughs> well just even thinking about what what did it what did it look like to break up those five loaves and two fishes yeah. into enough baskets <laughs> that there would be 12 left yeah. at the end what i mean five lo you put five loaves in the bottom of a basket and you've only got five baskets with a loaf in each right yeah. so how did it look as they were breaking those up to, yeah. to get out that, that it just kept breaking and it didn't dissolve and it wasn't you know you weren't running out of it that yeah. just the just the visuals of what was going on that day and and i love that you mentioned the temple as a place of rest a grassy knoll maybe in our lives yeah. um and maybe i'll just share and i i know he would maybe even want this message out um one of the people that you and I are aware of that pa passed away recently is a 17-year-old boy um, who unexpectedly uh, passed away. And, and yesterday I was visiting with his father, um, who's a friend of mine, good friend of mine, and uh, he said, you know, the day that we went and clothed him in his burial clothing, um, you know, hadn't, hadn't been endowed, wasn't, wasn't wearing temple clothing in his burial he said, we went and we, we clothed him in his temple clothing and then we went to the temple. And as we put those clothes on, they meant something different to us than they'd ever meant before. That uh, there is hope 
in the temple and power in the endowment, which is an endowment of power to obtain that body again, to um, to conquer the the conditions of the fall, and all of the things that that we learn in the temple as 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 comfortable as the temple is, designed to be that way, right? So comfortable, it's hard to stay awake sometimes when it's uh, you're in the night session, right? But as comfortable as the temple is, isn't it wonderful that what we learn there provides power that allows us to be comfortable in the hardest situations we're in, right? Just what a beautiful setting for him to come out of the temple and feel in a completely different place because he clothed himself with some different clothes that meant something to him and gave him some power to, to move forward yesterday at least in, uh, in the tough thing that he's going through with his family right now. Yeah. Really a beautiful message that I'm sure he would want out there. So That is beautiful, Matt. Yeah. Thank you. Keep going. What else? Where should we go? Yeah, let's just finish up here. Um, just in the end of Matthew 14, we're all very aware of this experience where Peter walks on the water. Yeah. In fact, I think a lot of people, I know, I know a lot of youth that I teach, this is, it, if you look, I kind of wish we were here with everybody. Just show me a picture of this experience that is your favorite picture. Yeah. And and there's so many where the Savior's reaching out to help Peter mm-hmm. on the water and yeah. and lift him out. You know, some are even the Savior up above the water sure. and smiling down. Yeah. That one kind of right. comes to mind, yeah, you sure. know, and <laughs> and there's others that just recently the church has has put out of this experience that just is powerful. You know, the the idea that Peter lost his sight on the Savior. Mm-hmm. But I want to focus really on verse 25, if we can. And the Savior did. I mean, He sent the multitude away in verse 22. Mm-hmm. And He does. He goes up into a mountain. So there's a temple experience for Christ. Yep. Apart to pray. And when the evening was come, He was there alone. So He had some time to spend thinking, pondering, praying. Mm-hmm. And, and perhaps even in a temple place with his Father in heaven sure. at that time yeah. to to wrestle with and grapple with the loss of his his uh, his cousin John the Baptist. So we know that there is terrible winds that can come down into the Sea of Galilee that can create tremendous waves and mm-hmm. and when it says that the sea was tossed and the waves were contrary. They're, they're blowing in the opposite direction of where the disciples are wanting to go. Right. And this is where I would just want to just end here is, isn't it interesting that the Savior waits until the fourth watch of the night? Mm-hmm. Which the first watch would have been from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. And the second watch is 9 p.m. to midnight. And the third watch is midnight to 3. The fourth watch is that. 3 p.m. to 6 a.m., just before the sun rises. Yeah. Which I imagine they didn't have any light. Mm-hmm. I don't think that their their lanterns were glowing. I, I bet that they had been out, and it, it says that they had toiled all night trying to row against these waves. And so my, my it, well, and, and my these were like is, these were fishermen that knew how to they, get on the on the and through the ocean. I mean, this the sea, right? Yeah, they were not, on it all the time. They're not unfamiliar with the challenge. Yeah, sorry, I cut you off. You, I no, no, you you're good. Question. 
I imagine the Savior was up in the mountains. He knew, he knew that the storm was coming. He felt the rain or felt the wind. Why did he wait till the fourth watch? Yeah. And, and maybe there's something here about our God being a fourth quarter God. Yeah. We always love a good fourth quarter. Right. Yeah. right? <laughs> We've all watched, and, and mm. I'm sure we've got some BYU fans listening, and that's okay. And we've got some Boise State fans, and that's yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> and we've all been in those games where right. it's a pretty important fourth quarter to both teams, right? Yeah. But in this, in this instance, and I think the Savior does this more than just here, He comes when it seems like we're in the last moment of hope. Yeah. And I wonder why he, he waits at times to come. Is there a reason for him to wait and mm. to be a fourth watch God, to be, to be helping us in times when it feels like there's Man. maybe all is lost? What a great question. I think there is, ex there is all the reason in the world for him to be that God, right? That, that Savior that waits. The whole purpose in coming here is go through it. Learn to do it right. Learn to handle trials and challenges in a way that it is faith promoting, and that that you you grow and you develop. If every every windy night he just calmed immediately, we we would never, you know. I, I think of the the bark on a tree, right? If the wind's blowing uh, from the from the west, for example, the bark on the westward side of a tree is thicker yeah. because it holds that tree against the wind, and it it it. it uh, it strengthens that tree, and, and, and yet, you know, I, <laughs> I think how often I ask Heavenly Father, just take my trial away. I just want it gone. Just, just stop the storm, man. And, and when He doesn't, I just am like, where are you? Why are you not? And, and I forget the whole reason. The whole reason I'm here is to learn to, to work my way through the storm, a little bit on my own, um, and then to ask for help when, I, when I'm like, okay, I've been doing this for three quarters, and I'm... I'm spent. I need, I need a little bit of assistance. Yeah. Yeah, I just can imagine their prayers. They probably started watch one. Early on, right? Early on. Yeah. It, it is it in John chapter 6, I think verse 19, it talks about how they'd gone 20 or 30 furlongs, which isn't very far. Right. I mean, they're, they're not very far out there. And, and the Savior, they, they see him walking on the hill at first. And you know, he kind of, third watch, fourth watch, he's, he comes out and he's, he sees them down there in the in the ocean struggling, and and he he just what gets down there eventually. It's not like he he didn't float down immediately. He he didn't just blink himself there to fix it. It was let, we'll just let him keep working on that a little bit, and I'll I'll walk across the water. I'll get there. I'll get there to help him. But uh, yeah, what a message! Isn't that cool? Yeah. You know, I just love that the Savior walks upon the thing that is contrary yeah. in their lives. Hmm. There are messages there too yeah. that despite hmm. sometimes the fact that we feel that He's not there, that He won't come, that, well, let's just give up. Time to drown, right? right? Yeah. That He comes walking upon the very thing that is, is their concern. And in verse 27, isn't this the message? I mean, don't you feel like we are a little bit in a fourth quarter fourth watch situation sure. in the latter days. It just feels like mm. all of our ships are taking on water in one way or another, and yet the Savior's yeah. message to His apostles is, be of good cheer. Yeah. It is I, be not afraid. Mm. And, and Peter doesn't 
you know, once he knows who it is, it's there to help him. He he's like, hey, if you'll let me, can I come out there with I'm you? I'm ready. And the Savior says, come. He yep. says, walk, come out here. Yep. And then uh, he he doesn't. Peter doesn't. He just out the boat, right? Like out the side of the boat and starts walking on the water, and then realizes what he's doing. Yeah. And starts looking down. Yeah. Right. And starts looking around him, recognizing, oh man, I'm in a place I don't. I don't know about, and I'm I'm a little uncomfortable. I I think about our young people. So many of them uh, end up away from home. Uh, you know, 18, 19 years old, having made a choice that they knew was the right choice because the father had invited them. Yeah, go there. Go do this thing for school, or go do this thing for for a job, or 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 find your spouse, or whatever it is. And they find themselves uh, in a stormy spot, even though they've been invited to go there. Um, th by the Lord, yeah. and and yet looking around and not focusing where they were and not staying connected to the Savior, they start looking around and that storm starts swallowing them, and uh, they miss uh, maybe a misappropriate their time and their focus, and so it becomes something that consumes them. Where they are, how do I get through this? What do I do next? What you know, all the questions, as opposed to keeping their focus where it ought to be. On the Savior first, and that the storm around them will be handled by Him. Uh, it's a it's a scary time, yeah. young single adulthood especially, and and especially youth. Man, wow! Can you imagine being a youth today? Just so tough. Storm is raging, isn't it? It is. That yeah. focus is so important. Every day, I know. I just read some of the awesome feedback our youth gave us about seminary, and one of them said, "I love seminary because I can come to a place where I don't have to hear bad language." Mm -hmm. Just all around them, just yeah. raging all the time. Yeah. You know, I, I love this from Sister Patricia Pinneger. She said, when Peter began to pay more attention to what was happening around him, the wind boisterously began to sink. What are the winds boisterous in our lives? What are the things that distract us from the Savior that turn our hearts and minds away from Him? She goes on to say, it may be the loud and confusing voices we hear on TVs and videos and music. Sometimes we just don't care. Our hearts are hard. There will be distractions, wind boisterous. Mm. But if we choose to turn to the Lord, to believe in Him, to follow Him, we can increase faith. Mm. Isn't that just powerful to think that, you know, despite the winds, all we have to do is cry out and He's there. And he'll help us. Right. There's peace in that and power in that. And maybe there's, I love that, I love that quote, maybe there's power in even just identifying what the wind is. Yeah. You know, what is the wave that I'm dealing with right now? What, why is it that that one is so hard for me? And, and then prayerfully saying that this one is the, the wind I'm dealing with. I haven't identified it until right now, but, but this is the one. It reminds me of Elder Bednar doing a face-to-face -face with some young married couples at some point. And I'm sorry if I've shared this before. Doing so many podcasts week to week, I forget what I've talked about. And what I, I know like three things, and you know I share those three things over and over, <laughs> and over again. So sorry if you've heard this, but but uh, he's talking with this young couple, and this this young man, maybe early twenties, twenty four, maybe, um, says Deller Bednar. He says, "How do I find the time to do the things that are best in my life when all the things I'm doing are good?" And so many of them take my time and distract me. And so I don't take the time to read my scriptures and I don't take the time to say my prayers. And, and, and I, as we're talking here, I'm, I'm reminded of that story because that 
young man doing good things. Those are waves. There's mm -hmm. there are things in his life that are distracting him from his focus where it ought to be. First and foremost, not that you know raising his family and going to work are bad things, but if that's where you're looking, you're not looking at the Savior. He's not going to keep you floating. And Elder Bednar's comment back, and I'm not going to quote it, but but it's pretty close to this. He said, "I'm going to be more direct than perhaps you're used to." He said. Um, if you're not doing the things that matter the most, they don't matter the most. They're just not as important to you. We find the time to do the things that matter the most in our lives. Uh, we all have the same amount of time. And we, again, find the time to do the things that matter the most. And, and it was very hard to hear that, but, but it's so true. If, if I haven't studied and I haven't read and I haven't given my time to the Lord in that way, consecrated my time um, in that way every day, it, it just doesn't matter. Because I, I found time to eat, and I found time to, to scroll through whatever I scrolled through that. I found the time to do the things that mattered the most to me. And I think that's a message that, you know, the, the wind and the waves, some of them we can control. Some of them we can say, I'm going to set that one down a little bit and not just try to walk through that one. Uh, I'm going to let the Savior's fo my focus on the Savior be enough to help me float and, and keep that there, keep that focus clear. Yeah. Can I share a personal experience Please? with you? Yeah. A couple weeks ago, I just was feeling pretty discouraged, just about life in general. Just sure. seemed like the, the the waves were a reality for me, yeah. and and my focus seemed to be on the things that that weren't very good. And I I was just so grateful for my sweetheart, just kind of tenderly saying, "Hey, you know, I I kind of watch you scrolling through your phone a lot." <laughs> And one of the things that I was doing on a pretty consistent basis was opening my Google News app mm -hmm. and scrolling through the things that are happening in the world. And they have a section that I would often turn to, which was for you. Mm -hmm. And I, I found that in that section for me, it was just a lot of negative things, uh -huh. you know, the wars that are happening, the earthquakes that are going on, the, the economic turmoils that we're seeing, the political just debates and, and upheavals and not just in our country, all over sure, the world, sure, right? Yeah, right? But even close here at home. That, and just discouraging things, you know, people that are being killed in terrible ways or families yeah. that are falling apart or you read these these stories about celebrities that one thing or another is happening all the time for them. And, and I, just, I, I just realized that she kind of said, you know, Look at how often you're scrolling through that my my focus really was on that. And yeah. I was probably looking two or three times a day at what yeah. was the next news article. Yeah. Last couple of weeks I've I've done what you suggested, you know, Elder Elder Bednar said we could do, right? Yeah. Which is to just find a different way to spend my time and what my focus has been about. And I've picked up the guitar a little more often Good. and I've I've sketched a little bit more in my sketchbook, and Good. I've spent some extra time with my children that I was maybe doing in a scrolling experience uh -huh. instead. And I just, I just bear testimony to those that are listening today that it works. What Peter experienced in his moment, it works for us too. Yeah. But it, it does. It takes some courage. I'm sure it took courage for him to look elsewhere other than the waves and to yeah. cry out for the Savior's help. But just like yeah. him, I've experienced the immediacy of Christ helping lift me yeah. above some of that. Still some discouraging moments. We all have those, but yeah. it does change it when our focus 
changes to him. Yeah, I love that. I, I think uh, thinking about young people, especially the formative years of your career and the formative years of marriage or looking for your spouse or maybe not even, you know, in that in that world, but but just trying to put your life together a little bit. Um, the, the apostles were going somewhere. They had an objective. They were heading in a very specific direction. And I don't know about you, but when a storm comes up, I like looking at the storm. I like staring at that thing. Just that's so cool. And it's and and then it hits, and it's like whoa. <laughs> On the, you know, you're looking out the window, and you're and and the objective becomes secondary to the problems that happen because of the objective. Yeah. And and then the objective and the problems become the objective, not the savior. The objective was to get to this thing and accomplish this task. We get wrapped up in the and the problems that come because of the object objective, and and then we miss the message. We miss why I'm even here. We miss the invitation to get better, and we start complaining about the storm. And we, um, as opposed to just looking to the Savior to help us. Just just one anecdotal thing, maybe in here that that just comes to my mind when I think of this story. I just love the power that the Savior developed in his life. Um, you know, the the ability to to see people and understand them. Uh, the ability to control the elements, right? Um, I don't know that God gives us that much capacity in our individual lives, but we know that Christ was a mortal. You know, he came with all the mortal conditions that we, you and I have, and yet had learned to control even the elements. And I just, I just think about the day he learned that he could walk on water. And uh, it just, it's, it's just fun for me to think, you know, the day he learned that he had control over grass, life or death. Or a, a fig tree. I can I can kill this fig tree or bring this fig tree back to life or walk on water. Was he a seven-year-old or a nine-year-old when he's, you know, down by the seashore with his mom and and walking on water and saying, "Hey, mom, look, <laughs> check this out." <laughs> you know, learning that he had those those powers. Maybe it was that this day was the first day he had attempted that. But I I kind of think not. I I, I want to say that he he really knew who he was by the time he was thirty here, um, working through his ministry. But, and I say that because the power that he obtained is also available to us in this life to control what's going on around us, even if it's only through him that we have that ability to, uh, to control it or to control how we view it um, if it's not being taken for the reasons that we've talked about before, right? That we can grow and develop and, and become. When the elements aren't controlled for us, or we don't have control over them, we do have control over how we look at them, where we keep our focus. President Nelson would say, you know, joy is not found in the, in the circumstances of our life, but in the focus of our life. And that Savior being right in front of you, man, the storm might be all around you. Um, but, but that's where we find joy, is where the Savior is. I love your testimony. I love the messages that we've shared here today. There's so much here that we could talk about um, in this, this week's block. Um, Brother Gottfriedson, would you just share uh, for us as we close out here just a message that you would want youth and young adults around the world, and we're really all over the world now. It's, it's kind of exciting to, to see. I think we're in 19 different countries now. And, and, uh, and, and actually yesterday, I'd just quickly before I ask you to wrap us up, uh, we had an opportunity just this last week to, to visit with uh, Brother Bert Wimpy, who's uh, Associate Administrator in Seminary and Institute. was kind of like the second down guy in the, in the whole system. And, and just a, such a great guy. What a, what a wonderful testimony and, and humble. And, 
And he shared with us yesterday in a meeting I was in with him that uh, that even in the Ukraine right now, when everything's going sideways and there's such a storm over there, uh, that one of the uh, coordinators over there is still there, still coordinating. They're having online seminary. They're having online institute classes. They're still focused where they ought to be focused. And he shared how um, in the background of some of their online inter in classrooms that they're having, uh, the teacher is hearing bombs and war going on right around these students. And he'd say, do you need to go? Or, are you okay? And, and they'd say, oh yeah, no, we're okay. We're, we're here. This is what we have. This is where we are. I need to be here. I need to have this experience. This is what I need. Yeah. And uh, just even with the storm raging like that around them, uh, they're staying focused. And, and for those that are out there in those kinds of environments, that the Lord would bless you is our prayer here from, from the safety of our uh, United States. But, uh, but the, the Lord is there and He's very aware of where you are. So, so maybe with all that, um, wh what would your message, maybe connected to here, but just in general, what would your message to the young people out there dealing with storms and dealing with um, the trials of death and loss and all the things maybe we've, we've talked about today, how would you maybe wrap it up? Well, I'd just wrap it up the way that that it was wrapped up in in Matthew 14, right? That uh, when they were in the ship, they came and worshipped him and said, "Of a truth, thou art the Son of God." Mm. And of course, by then the wind had ceased. I just he he is there. He is real. He is personally leading the work of salvation and exaltation. And he he's he's upon the waters with us. Yeah. He's walking through these storms. He's near us. He's he's here. Yeah. And he's present in our lives. And I just am so grateful that we have a living God and a living savior that are are preparing for a return to to cleanse the earth again. Mm -hmm. I know they're I know they're there. Yeah. And I just am grateful of a truth. He is the Son of God. What a testimony. I love it. Brother Gottfordson, thank you. Uh, what a blessed day that will be when the Savior comes and calms all the storms. Physical, uh, worldly, wealth, emotional, uh, weather. <laughs> Right, what a, what a blessing it will be. Uh, we just so appreciate you and your talents and your skills, your knowledge, your time, your, just the, the person that you are and, and grateful to have you today. Hope we'll have you back. Yeah, thanks, man. It was good to be here. Okay, see you soon.